the internet. Hopefully we don't break the internet today, or maybe we should break the internet today. Jesus' resurrection can break the internet. That's, that's the sermon title, we'll say. Not, not really. Uh, today we'll be looking at Christ's resurrection. Uh, it is a, a glorious day to, to look at, and, and the effects of Christ's resurrection uh, are, are enormous. And I really want us to let that sink down deep in our hearts today, and it should be something that sinks down deep in our hearts every day, and it just propels us and, and continues to sustain us throughout our entire life. If, if Christ's resurrection, if the living Christ isn't, isn't raised in our hearts new every day, uh, we are going to struggle, and uh, our faith is going to flounder. So today we're going to look at uh, the passage of Scripture out of Luke chapter 24. If you have your Bible, uh, grab it, open it please, to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have one, go to the bedroom and grab it off the bookshelf and come back and, and uh, open it up. Luke chapter 24 is where we'll be today. Uh, we're actually going to cover the entire chapter. Uh, I'm just going to read the first six verses of that, uh, of that account to start us off, but w- w- here's what we see in this account. We see three different stories in relation and response to the resurrection on Easter morning, and, and we're going to look at each one of those stories, but what we find in each one of those stories are four common things, and, and you'll see these listed on the, on the sermon notes. Maybe you went to, to get those. Uh, that's available on our website as well. You can go to the, the homepage and click on current sermon notes, and this will come up. You'll see all the references of the scriptures and the points of the sermon. So these four points, I guess you'd say, four themes, are evident in every one of these stories, and, and we're going to look at every one of the stories, and then we're going to look at our own story and see how they're evident in our lives as well. Here they are. These four themes are this. The Christ's resurrection caused confusion and uncertainty. Christ's resurrection created conviction and rebuke. We'll see that in these stories. Uh, Christ's resurrection was clearly revealed through instruction. And Christ's resurrection finally changed everything. It changed everything. So we'll see these four themes in our three stories today. I'll go ahead and pray for us, and we'll get into the Word. Father, we we come to you humbly, asking that you would guide us and direct us in your Word, that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to it, that, God, by your Spirit, you would humble us, God, that we would come to you and to your Word with less of us and desiring more of you. God, help us to look and analyze the ways we may be looking for the living among the dead. And let us let Christ rise and raise in our hearts anew every morning. Use the Word now and use this time in our homes as we look to you. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's go read the first six verses here of Luke chapter 24. It says, on the, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to, to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by uh, them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified, bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Amen. Now we're going to look at this story and, and the next two stories in this chapter a little more in depth and, and see how these themes are evident in each one. All right, so you guys ready to go? Luke chapter 24. The first story is verses 1 through 10. And, and here's what we see. This is the story of the women at the empty tomb and then their report back 
about the risen Christ. So uh, it, what we see, there's four themes, right? The, let's look at the confusion first. Uh, Jesus has risen from the grave, and he is not at the tomb anymore. The tomb, the, the stone is rolled away, and it's empty. And, and let's just look at this, this journey in verses 1 through 4. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb. Now, Jesus had instructed them that he would be handed over and crucified, and that on the third day he would rise again. So, of course, good disciples would come to the tomb, what, ready to see the risen Lord Jesus. But they came to the tomb, bringing the spices that they had prepared. These spices were not for the risen Jesus. These, these spices were for the dead Jesus to, to prepare his body. Verse 2 says, They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So now they're, they're disturbed, they're in distress, they're confused. And the next part of the next uh, the verse, it says this, while they were perplexed about this, that there was confusion here, that they were perplexed. They did not find what they were looking for in the tomb. Now that's, that's dangerous because you think about it for you and I, we, well, Jesus said he was going to rise. He's, he's going to be alive. I should have been waiting and, and ready for that. Sure, sure, there was sorrow of how he died and what went down, but we're waiting for him to rise from death. Will the women go to the tomb with spices to prepare his body for finality? They did not find what they were looking for. They did not find a dead Lord Jesus. They were perplexed about this. So that leads us to the next part. It's the rebuke. So they were confused because they were not finding what they were looking for. And now the next part is rebuke, uh, verses 4 through 6a. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. I think this is more confusion. Of course, we see this before angels in Scripture, and, and that people are afraid. But they have no idea what's happening. They don't know what to expect, although they've been told. And here's the rebuke from the angels. Imagine this. Imagine how scandalous it was for them to go to the grave of Jesus expecting to find him dead when he had said all the while, I will rise from dead. They said this, Why? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. And the next word in, there, in that passage says this, Remember? Remember, and it goes on, remember how he spoke to you? But what the angels were saying is, listen, Jesus told you this. You should have known better. Remember what he said? The truth of this is everything is available to the disciples of Christ. Everything's available to you and I. Everything, all that we need is available to us for those who are looking for the living, but not if we're looking for the living among the dead. So we move into the next theme of instruction. Luke 24, verses 6b through 8, it says, Remember how he spoke to you. He instructed you while he was in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, that he be crucified and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. It's that moment they're like, that light bulb comes on. Oh yeah, that's what he was talking about the entire time, every time. And, and I think about my own heart when I say that. Oh yeah, that, that's right. That sounds right. I get instruction from Scripture. I, I look at the Word of God and it reveals who Christ is more and more. And I say, oh yeah. But, but think about this. We do this in our lives. We add this phrase. But I thought, and you hear that, we, we try to set our own thoughts 
on top. We try, to, we try to make sense of what's going on without looking to clear instruction. Clear instruction was given to them by the Lord Jesus himself. They should have known. Oh, oh yeah, but, but we thought. So what happens after instruction? We have, we have confusion and rebuke, and then we have instruction. What should happen? Well, change should happen. It should change everything. In verses 9 through 10, it says, Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. You see, when we, when we really embrace the instruction of the Lord and embrace the truth that He is living, we will leave changed and we will share what we have seen and heard. We will share all that we have experienced, just as these women did. So they left, right? And they went, they went to the next scene of our story, scene two, act two, whatever you want to call it. And this is, this is the, the room where the, gather, the disciples are gathered. The apostles are there. They're mourning over the Lord Jesus' death. They're not sure what to do. They're perplexed. They're confused as well. So here's what we see going on in the text. This is the second scene. Here's the confusion. They reported these things, it said. And then, but it says, these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. How, how scandalous again. Our confusion is really riddled with scandal, isn't it? It's scandal that we don't really believe that Jesus is alive. We don't really believe that Jesus is going to rise and dawn in our hearts and give us new life and a hope that will never disappoint and a joy that will overflow. Those words seem like nonsense to them. They did not believe the women. Verse 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stopped to look in, he saw only linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. Now, this word amazed, amazed is not this, this total belief yet for Peter. He's not totally sure. The word amazed really is he wondered or marveled at this. He thought through this and pondered what this could mean. He was probably hopeful that maybe Jesus did rise from the dead. Well, that scene continues in verse 13, that scene of confusion. It says, Now on the same day... Two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, What is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. I picture that scene, I see that, that scene in my house when, when it, uh, one of my children may, may be discouraged or, oh, you know, we, we get discouraged. And these guys, they were walking along, they were arguing, they were disputing. What were they disputing? Well, we don't know, but they're probably disputing everything that surrounded the Lord Jesus' death and his burial. And who knows, it's the third day, what's to happen? They had heard, and we'll go on, they had heard that the women said that they, they had been raised or he had been raised, but Scripture says they didn't believe that. So Jesus asked, what is this dispute you're having? And it goes on, uh, one of them named Cleopas answered him, are, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things? He asked them. I, I love Jesus' response there. What things? What happened? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping 
that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Now let's stop there for a minute. Again, when we, when we enter into this place of confusion about the living Christ, uncertainty about Jesus and faith in Christ, what we're saying is that he may not be the Messiah that I had hoped for. We talked about that last week on Palm Sunday, that the people were looking for a different Messiah. These disciples were looking for a different Messiah, one that would come to rule and reign over Israel and to defeat all of Israel's enemies. But we talked about that the greatest enemy that Israel had to be defeated was themselves, their own sinful heart, and that's the same for us. But they were arguing that this is not the Messiah that they had hoped for. But then they go on, it says, well, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. You see, there's still that unbelief there. There's still that confusion and uncertainty there. Although the women came and said, Jesus is alive, and they went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him, so it must not be true. The, the body must have been taken. We must be wrong. There was confusion. There was uncertainty in their hearts. So what happens? Well, Jesus now, not two angels, but Jesus gives them a rebuke. Verse 25, he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the, for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter his glory? This is Jesus, and they don't know it's Jesus. This is Jesus rebuking them. You ought to know better how foolish you are and slow to believe. And what are they slow to believe? They're slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Again, the word of God is clear and resounding about the Messiah. The word of God clearly shows us who he is and what he's going to do and what must be done. And that he will rise from the dead. So he gave them some instruction. He moved from rebuke to instruction. Verse 27 through 32. He says, Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Again, this isn't some emotional roller coaster ride of feelings. This is the Lord Jesus giving them instruction from the Word of God, saying, Look, Look at when Moses speaks. That's talking about Jesus, the Messiah. Look at when, when it speaks in Samuel about the Davidic covenant and when we see the Abrahamic covenant. We see Isaiah and we go through all the prophets. It all speaks about Jesus, the Messiah. How foolish you are and slow to believe that. He goes on, verse 28. Then they came near the village where they were going. And think about that. Think about that walk, that seven-mile walk. Think about how much instruction the Lord Jesus could have given them during that time. How many, how many verses, of course, the Lord Jesus had memorized, and they did too. How many they, he quoted and quoted and quoted and continued to quote. There are hundreds of prophecies concerning the Messiah. Hundreds. And look those up. I encourage you to do that. So they came near the village where they were going, and he, he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So we went in to stay with them. 
It was as he reclined at the table with them and that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. Now listen to verse 32. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was taking or talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? Instruction is so important. And as we go to the Word of God for that instruction, we find it as a, a perfect source to fill everything that we need as far as understanding who Jesus is and understanding who we are in relation to Him. Their hearts were burning and, and joy was starting to well up within them. They understood who He was. And then it was as He reclined at the table, as He broke the bread. Remember, that, think about this uh, a week earlier, right? Not a week, uh, three days earlier, Thursday, right? This is Sunday, so Thursday. He was in the upper room having the Lord's Supper with his disciples and breaking bread with them and explaining to them, this is my body and this is my blood. Then they realized it as they're sitting there at the table again, seven miles from Jerusalem, after a long talk with the Messiah and instruction with the Messiah, they realized, they remembered. They started to grab with their heart who Jesus said he was. Well, what happened? Well, things changed. The resurrection changes everything. So Luke, 30, Luke chapter 24, verses 33 through 35. That very hour. Remember, they went to the house and urged him to stay because it was getting dark and late. But that very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together, who said, The Lord has truly been raised and appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. You see, when we, when we come to life in Christ, when we see the living Christ for who He is, we leave changed forever, forever changed. And we leave sharing what we had seen and heard. We share what we experience. Let's look at the last part of this. It's the gathered disciples. So they've gone now from Emmaus back to Jerusalem, back to the gathered disciples. And we're going to look at their confusion. Verse 36 says this, as they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. As they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. So as the disciples from Emmaus came back and said, we, we know he's alive. We saw him. He's alive. He rose from the dead. As they were talking about this, as they were excited about this, confusion entered again. Jesus comes up and he appears. He stood in their midst and he said to them, peace to you. Verse 37, look at this. But they were startled and terrified and, and thought they were seeing a ghost. Wow. They still weren't expecting the living Christ to appear. After all they had already seen and after all they had already heard, they were still not expecting it to be Jesus in the flesh. So what happens? A rebuke. Jesus in verse 38. Why are you troubled? He asked them. This is not one of those dad to kid feel good moments like, what's wrong, honey? This is, why are you troubled? Shouldn't you know better? He goes on, says, he asked them, and, and why do doubts arise in your heart? See, doubts and confusion, uncertainty is not what should reign in our hearts. The living Christ should. He goes on in verse, 30, or verse 
39, he says, Look, look at my hands, look at my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see that I have. The rebuke was, Why don't you still believe that I am alive? So what happens? After confusion, there's a rebuke. And after rebuke, where does he go? He goes to instruction in verse 44. He told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures understand the scriptures the scriptures say it all they all point to Jesus so now he's instructed them and opened their eyes again their hearts are hopefully open to hear this and see this so what happens things are forever changed look at verse 48 and 49 you Jesus says you are witnesses of these things and look I am sending you what my father has promised As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. And then go to verse 52. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising God. That change of heart had happened. They'd gone from a heart of fear and doubt that had arisen in their hearts to letting the risen Christ be the one that dawned in their hearts. Filled them with great joy and continual worship, praising the living Messiah. It's interesting to see this progression on Resurrection Sunday. But I want us to look at ourselves now. I want us to look at our story. We've seen the story of the women at the tomb. We've seen the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And we've seen the the story of the, the apostles and disciples back in Jerusalem hearing the news about Jesus and their response. But let's look at our own story. Let's look at this faith journey as we have come to believe the Messiah or come to encounter the risen Savior. First, something like the crucifixion and resurrection might have caused confusion and uncertainty. You know, you and I as a people tend to go off feelings far more than we should, far off, far off, more often than we should. We let our feelings tend to dictate our, our faith and our actions. Now, sometimes that's important. We have feelings for a reason, but they should not dictate our faith. Our faith should dictate and direct our feelings and our emotions. And when we get those turned around, if we're only operating on emotion and feeling, we will let doubt and fear rise to the top way more often than we'll let the living Christ in his words. Christianity, Jesus, the story about Christ can certainly cause confusion and uncertainty especially this, especially when Jesus may not be the Messiah that you were hoping that he would. He may, he may be the Messiah that you want, or he's not the Messiah you want, but he's really the Messiah you need, and you and I need to embrace him as such. I want to share a couple of different passages now uh, that relate to this, relate, relate to our faith story of this confusion. We see this happening with, with Peter when he walked on the water, and Jesus, Jesus called out to Peter. Peter asked, Lord, call, call me, and I'll, I'll come walk to you. He had this great faith, right? There was no fear or doubt. His eyes were on Jesus. Peter started walking on the, on the water. This is Matthew 14, 29. He started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. 
Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You know what he was doing? When he started walking on that water towards Jesus, his eyes were on the living Christ. He was searching for the living among the living. But as soon as the elements started battering him down and, and beating against him, his, his eyes shifted from focus and his heart shifted from a focus on the living Christ to searching for the living among the dead. And he began to sink. Confusion and uncertainty certainly will increase as you and I search for the living among the dead. What does that mean? It means this, that we want life. We want hope. We want joy. We want our faith to be rounded out and to be fulfilling. But when we search for it in places that are not Jesus Christ, it flounders and we sink. Whatever you're putting your hope in, whatever you're putting your your attitude, whatever attitude you're shaping from the world around you, whatever sin you may still be holding on to, that is not the living. Those are dead things. Those will not provide life. Only Jesus Christ will provide life. Well, what happened? What happens? Well, what's an encouragement here? Well, Hebrews, the text in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says this. Since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, so we have people that we see. Not only you and I have people around us in our lives who have strong faith, but we have all of the scriptures and all of the stories of scriptures. And in fact, the, the chapter right before Hebrews 10 is the hall of faith. Go back and read that. Check out their stories. Since we have this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us, you and I, part of our story, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that, that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus has gone before us. He endured what, what you and I should have endured on that cross. But he defeated death by rising again. He defeated sin by paying the penalty that we deserve to pay. That through faith in Christ, you and I could be free. Through faith in Christ, you and I could have life. But he says, since we have this large cloud of witnesses, let's lay off every hindrance, every confusion, every uncertainty, every despair, every anxiety. Let's lay those off, lay those aside, and let's fix our eyes on the living Christ. That brings us out of confusion. But now, here's the deal. I, I, want, I want to give you a reality check here. Moving from confusion and uncertainty usually takes a rebuke. We saw that in the, in the three stories. We saw this theme of rebuke. You and I tend, tend to not be ready for rebuke, though. We tend to not like that. We, we tend to not like when someone confronts us and says, you should have known better. You should have done something differently. It's right here in front of you. Now, hopefully people don't say it so abrupt in our lives. But whether the Holy Spirit is convicting you and, and rebuking you himself or whether he's using a friend, a trusted Christian friend, to put you on the right path, a rebuke will come. Jesus rebuked people in John chapter 5, in verse 39 and 40. Here's what he says. 
He said, you, you pour over the Scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Oh, that's a big rebuke. You know, for a lot of us, we think, oh yeah, I, I know the stories in the Bible. I, I cling to this. I, I've been pouring over the Scripture since I was a kid. But here's what, there's always a but, isn't there? I've been pouring over the Scripture since I was a kid. But this is my situation today. And we, we abandon the Scriptures thinking that, that, oh yeah, I know them, so I'm good, but why isn't it working out? Because the Scriptures are meant to point us to repentance and to faith in Jesus Christ. And if we're not going there and we're going somewhere else, we need a strong rebuke. What, what we're basically saying is, yeah, I, I know it's here, I know it's here, but now I'll, I'll keep looking for the answers. I'll keep trying to find my own way. And we set aside the Messiah. It's really tough to be rebuked. It's even worse, though, to be rebuked and then to say, nah, I'll keep looking and trying to figure it out on my own. Because you know where that leads us. Here, there's this bouncing that happens through these themes. When we're rebuked and we say, nah, I need to just set the Messiah aside, I'll figure it out on my own, we will end back up in confusion and uncertainty. Guaranteed. So when rebuke comes, know that, that there can come, come this time of, of deep conviction where I can wrap my heart around the truth of God and then go back to His Word for instruction and insight and then find the living Christ there. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For I passed on to you as most important what I received. And here's what it was. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the most important thing. We have to go back there. In our rebuke, we have to go back that, to that which was most important. He goes on in verses 12-14 through 14 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Some were saying, oh, well, when we die, we die and there's nothing left. Jesus rose from death to give us death? No, that's not what happened. It says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then, even, then not even Christ has been raised. So if that truth doesn't hold, if we find truth somewhere else, that truth will not hold up. And here's what it says. Here's the rebuke. And if Christ has not been raised, now think about that. If Christ has not been raised, if, if doubt and fear are there and uncertainty and confusion, if we allow that to raise in our hearts, if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. If all we're allowing is confusion and doubt and fear to rise in our heart and rule the day, if all we're doing when we're rebuked is setting aside the rebuke to go and find something else on our own, what Paul is saying, then the risen Christ is not Lord of your life, and that your faith and my faith would be worthless. See, the resurrection has to change everything. So let's say we get through a rebuke. We get to that point where, okay, I, I, there's power there. What do I do? My, my attitude, my life, my sin, I'm laying that aside for the living Christ because I don't want a worthless faith. What happens now? Well, there's clearly revealed, the living Christ is clearly revealed through instruction. That's the next part of our theme, right? We move from rebuke, rebuke. now we go to the Word of God, we go and find instruction. Luke chapter 16, 
verse 31. This is, again, going back to that emotion thing. Uh, and this, I'll set the scene a little bit here. We have a scene of, of folks who want to see a resurrection. They want to see a miracle happen. They want to see something emotional take place and something stir in their hearts deeply so they can believe. But here's the response, and Jesus told them. It says, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Our rebuke is go back to the first things. Go back to the first place, to the source of our instruction. Go back and find it there. Peter writes in 2 Peter 1.19, he says, we also have the prophetic word, the word of God, strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a lamp, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Now think about that. Getting out of rebuke and moving into instruction says, God, please illuminate the dark in my life. Please light me up so I can see and be exposed of everything that's going on right here. I'm ready for you to do that now. It's not to say, well, okay, I'm back on track, Jesus. Give me a big miracle. Give me a big sign. No, no. God, illuminate my heart. Shine in my heart through your instruction from your word as, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. And do it, Peter goes on, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That's what Jesus is offering through his instruction. As we glean and go to the word of God for instruction, as we grow in that word of God, as we open ourselves up and expose our hearts to the light of God's word, the truth will, will set us free, but the truth will illuminate and rise and dawn in our hearts. And as that happens... As that darkness goes out, as the sun rises in our hearts, that's the resurrection that changes everything. That's when hope will rise. And here's the promise we have. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. We need to navigate this and understand that, that we, we might be confused. We might be uncertain, but we need to let God rebuke us. Let him challenge us and say, really, is that what you think you should be doing? And then as we're, we've been rebuked, we need to let him draw us to the word of God and not resist that. To go there and see for ourselves who he is that we would think rightly about him and not put some other Messiah in our, in our minds, someone else that we're going to chase, and then in doing so, try to find the living among the dead. And then as he reveals clear instruction from his word, the darkness will be illuminated. And the day will dawn and the morning star will rise in our hearts and it will change everything. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he changes everything. The old is gone and the new has come. And he, then he doesn't leave us hanging there. He promised this in our story on, uh, to the disciples. I, I'm, I'm going to go away, and, and the Father's promised one. The Holy Spirit is coming. And that's true for you and I. As, as we put faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the forgiver of our sins, He forgives us. He wipes away our sin. He casts them as far as the east is from the west. They're buried on the bottom of the ocean floor, and then He gives us His Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
That's the power of God. It's the power of a witness. When Jesus Christ changes everything, we, we go share it unashamedly with everyone. I know during this time we've been more sheltered in place or more isolated, and, and we've been thinking more about these things. I think at least I have. The world isn't so busy right now and, and consuming and distracting, and, and really the hope that I have is in Christ. And, and my hope that is that you have that hope as well, that you have come to the living Christ instead of something dead for salvation, that you come to the living Christ that you've embraced him as Savior. You've said, he's what I want. He paid my price. I don't want me anymore. I turn away from those dead things. I turn away from my sin and my, my ways, and I turn to him for instruction. I turn to him for the hope that only he can help dawn in my heart and rise in my heart. And let him change everything. And as he does, we will be forever changed. And we need to hold on. Hold on to what has been changed forever and hold on to who has changed everything. And that is the risen Lord. My hope is that you come to Easter morning wanting that resurrection. Not just knowing about it and remembering, oh yeah, it's something I learned one day in Sunday school and oh yeah, Easter's about Jesus and Easter eggs. No, it's, it's all about the risen Savior. And it's not just about an empty tomb. It's about a living Savior that wants to live and rule and reign in you and me. So it takes you and I moving through confusion, moving beyond uncertainty, letting, letting the Spirit of God and God's people rebuke and God's Word rebuke our thoughts. Then going to a place of humility and saying, I'm, I'm going to lay my thoughts aside and my preferences aside and I will let the Lord and God's Word instruct me and shine a light on the darkness of my heart and let it change me and transform me. And I then will embrace Christ in a deeper faith, in an unclouded faith for who he really is, and I will let him change everything. So, for you and I, like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, who sat at the table as the Lord broke the bread, and they remembered who he was. We look to Jesus and recognize him as our all-sufficient sacrifice for our sin. And we let him rise in our hearts and open our eyes to see him and to be made new. Earlier this week and earlier today, I encouraged you to gather the elements for the Lord's Supper. We're going we're gonna to do that now. We're going to partake together in the Lord's Supper. This should be a deeply meaningful thing. This should almost be a rebuke right now. And here's my rebuke to you. When we go to the bread and to the juice, you better remember. Don't set it aside as, oh yeah, this is what we do in church. You and I are called to remember what the Lord Jesus has done. We're called to embrace Him by faith. We don't come to the Lord's table because we're good. We don't come to the Lord's table because we're adequate, because we have figured it out on our own. We come to the Lord's table because He was broken for us or given for us, and He shed His blood for us. And we remember the sufficiency of that sacrifice. And as we remember today, we remember that our Savior didn't stay on the cross and stay in the grave, but that he rose victoriously, conquering Satan, sin, and death once and for all. That he did that. He did that. So let's participate together in remembering the Lord's sacrifice and that our life is only because of his death and his resurrection. Um, as, as we share in the Lord's Supper today, I, uh, 
I want to give a little further instruction. Uh, the Lord's Supper is, is for people who are Christ followers, for, for disciples of Christ to share in together. For, for those who have never put faith in Christ, maybe you're still living in confusion and this is cloudy and you wonder about that. That's okay. Uh, we're good with that. In fact, I mentioned the welcome card earlier that's on the homepage of our website. If you, if you want to go connect there and, and say, listen, I, I need more information. I'm, I'm, this is all cloudy. This is all fuzzy to me. It's, I'm confused about this. Please let us know. We'd love to connect with you. One of our elders would love to, to meet with you, to talk, to visit, just to, to share the hope that we have in Christ, to, to maybe go to the Scriptures and illuminate who Christ is for you. But for the rest of us, as we have come together to gather today to worship Jesus, the, the risen Savior, now we come to remember Him. And for you and I who have put faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's, that's, this is for us to partake in and remember for some of you, you have children at home. I know I do, and, and they aren't necessarily ready for this. And you judge that on your own. It's a great opportunity for them to observe and to see what we do and why we remember. It's a great opportunity for you to share why you remember and why you're doing this and that they could understand more and more who Jesus is and their deep need for him. For those children that have trusted Christ as Savior, this, this should be deeply meaningful for them at least reflective in thinking about the body that he gave for us. The sacrifice he made on the cross as he shed his blood. Today I'm going to read a passage of scripture out of Luke 22. I usually go to the, the Corinthians passage and look at Paul's instructions on the Lord's Supper. But out of Luke 22, we're going back, we're rewinding now to, to Thursday when he was actually having the Lord's Supper, sharing that together with the, uh, the disciples in the upper room. So in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. And what I encourage you to do now is, is grab your, your bread and grab your, your juice. We're going to grab a piece of bread. And what we're going to do together, I would encourage you also, make it small. right? You make it too big of a piece of bread, you're going to be chewing on it forever. So grab a piece of bread. Take your time to get that. Get that set up how you need to. What we'll do is I'll, I'll read this scripture. I'll pray over the, over the element, the bread, and thank God for his body. And then after I pray, we'll all partake together. And then we'll move on in the scripture and we'll, we'll go to the, the juice as well. So we're in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. It says this, And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the sacrifice that you made on the cross. We're so grateful that you gave us your body as a living sacrifice and that you died in our place where we deserve to die. God, we come to you seeking the risen Savior to hold on to, to hold fast to, and thanking him for the sacrifice that he made for us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Next, we're going to take the cup, as Jesus did at the Last Supper and, and instructed. He went on, he said, in the same way, in the same way he took the cup also after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you took our place. 
God, the scriptures say that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. So we look to you and to your sacrifice, that as you shed your blood, you did so, so that we could be forgiven, so that our, our sins could be redeemed. So we pause now and reflect to remember you and the sacrifice you made, the blood that you shed, but God, not only the sacrifice you made, the blood that you shed, but God, that you rose from the dead, conquering it all victoriously so that we could have life in Jesus. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to go ahead and have a prayer, and, and we'll invite the worship team to come back up and sing one more just joyous song before we head out and, uh, and into, into discussion, maybe perhaps, with your family. Uh, we'll have discussion questions at the end of this time, and you can uh, check that out and, and talk more about it. But I really hope that, uh, that Christ has risen in your heart and that your faith is sound in Him. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it's living and active. God, as we've looked at the resurrection today, God, I pray that you would help us in our story. God, help us navigate any confusion or uncertainty that we face. God, that we would embrace your rebuke, that when, when we're off and we've run astray, that God, we would, we would seek you to set us straight. And God, that that would help move us towards a place where we would then receive instruction from your word and from, from people that you have put in our lives to, to teach us it. And God, that from that instruction, our faith would grow and that we would throw off every hindrance and lay it aside. And we would embrace you with a deep, newfounded faith. A faith that has been changed by the living Christ. And a life that has been changed by the living Christ. We thank you. And we ask this all in Jesus' risen name. Amen.